you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to uh, Deuteronomy, we, uh, both Cody and Danny were right about the AM and uh, the sign saying that the AM and, and uh, PM were, uh, well, this morning was supposed to be on Deuteronomy and tonight was supposed to be on Fellowship. I actually mixed that up with Cody, so, uh, I, but I appreciate the thought put behind the, the, the hymns. I, I, I really do appreciate it when when we take the time to do that i think i think it really helps us uh puts our put our minds where it needs to be um now <laughs> i think it's still just as helpful tonight even though we talked about fellowship this morning because i think it just harkens back hopefully it harkens back to some of the things that we discussed this morning about what fellowship is uh supposed to look like um what ultimately how that is based upon a relationship with god um but uh all that just to say that was my mistake so I uh, sent Cody the wrong order when I was texting him. So, uh, if you want to turn to Deuteronomy, I just want to look at uh, really one thought when it comes to the, the the whole book. Deuteronomy means second law, uh, or or the second giving of the law, which I th- I think is pretty interesting, especially when you look at what Israel is going to do right after uh, they hear the law. Both in, in Numbers chapter 13, you, you, I mean, you have Leviticus, uh, and, and, and the law is established, and the law is given to the people, the tabernacle is built, and it's after that, that very quickly after that, that they're going to, they're at least supposed to take um, the promised land. Obviously, they don't, and we're going to look at that a little bit more tonight, uh, or at least talk about it a little bit tonight. But, but they wander for 40 years, but then when Deuteronomy is written, it is really the last couple of months in the wilderness before they take the promised land. And so, again, right before they go in to take the promised land, what happens? What, is God, what does God think is, is the right call? They need to hear the law again, which I think is very interesting. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit more as we continue. But there's really one uh, thing that I think comes up over and over and over again all throughout Deuteronomy. And it is... Uh, I would say, a constant reminder. And God reminds his people of a lot of things. Um, he reminds them of the law. He reminds them of, of how they're acting when they get into the land. He, he, I mean, he just reminds them of several different things. And, and really, what I wanted to do tonight was look at a few of those things that he's trying to remind them of, kind of just summarize what they are with four uh, basic points. And it's kind of like a, you know, look into your past, look at what you're doing now, look where you're going. Uh, but and, and so just four points I want to look at tonight as Moses walks through their his, history, uh, even recent history, um, he calls on them to remember what they d- did initially, how they had treated God, their involvement with God leading up to the promised land, what God has done for them up to this point. Thirdly, what they are supposed to do when they take the land, when they go into the promised land, how they are to act, how they are to treat, treat God himself. And then finally, I, I, I think you even see little moments where throughout this reminder to the people, they, they are reminded of how God remembers certain things. God himself remembers, uh, whether it be the covenant, whether it be the people that oppose him. Even he remembers, and I think there's some encouragement to take there. So that's kind of the track we'll be going as we go throughout the lesson tonight. And so uh, I do think in all of these reminders, it is a warning. Because if they don't do the things that he says, if they, if they disobey, if they don't heed the warning, God says over and over again, listen, the curses of disobedience will come upon you. 
And so it's important that they actually listen to these things. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, in verse 11, I think this is one of the most pointed verses in the entire book. It says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes which I am commanding you today. I, I think that that is kind of uh, the best verse when it comes to what we're going to be talking about. I think it all culminates in this notion, do not forget me. Uh, no matter what the case is, no matter what circumstance you're in. And so I just want to see that as we go throughout the lesson tonight. First of all, as I already indicated, I just want to look at kind of really their past leading up to this point. What is the reason that they were even in the wilderness in the first place? Because God has a few things to say about that. Or, and Moses uh, uh, has a few things to say about that even. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1, as he begins giving this second giving of the law, as they're going through all these things once more before they're supposed to take the land, he begins by reminding them of their failure. Uh, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, in verse 19, beginning, it says, Then when we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, just as the Lord our God had commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is about to give us. See, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord the God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you approached me and said, let us send men before us that they may search out the land for us and bring back to us word of, uh, word of the way by which we should go up and the cities which we shall enter. The thing pleased me, and I took twelve of your men, one man from each tribe. They turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eschol and spied it out. Then they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us, and they brought us back a report and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God is about to give us. Yet you were not willing to go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you grumbled in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, Do not be shocked, nor fear them. Which I think is interesting. He says, first, both, don't be afraid, but also, don't be shocked. Don't act shocked. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carries his son in all the way which you have uh, walked until you came to this place. But for all this, you did not trust the Lord your God, who goes up before you on your way to seek out a place for you to encamp in fire by night and cloud by day to show you the way in which you should go. And so it, it, I, just, I think it's so striking that as he begins <laughs> this, this word, which I would say is, in fact, a word of encouragement, before they are about to go to war and take the promised land, what does he start with? You failed, and you failed tremendously, especially the, the previous generation before them. And I think one of the reasons he goes through this is, as, as again, a warning. You make sure that when you get to the border, that you don't do the same thing. You don't make the same mistake that the previous generation made. And, and, and especially after all the things you've seen, don't take all of those things for granted. And, and all the signs that they had been given as he gets into in verse 33, just in the fact of how they were guided. Not, not even, you know, take, take, put aside the fact that they were given manna from heaven, water from the rock on several different occasions, but just the way they were guided in a very, very spectacular way. And so all of that, he says, don't make the same mistake that the previous generation did. It, from the beginning, 
as he, as he talks about that story in Numbers, chapters, uh, Numbers chapter uh, 13 and 14, I think one of the main things he says is, listen, they listened to man over God. God was clear in what he said. And I love, as, as, as I indicated just a moment ago, how he says uh, when, it, dur during that story, I said, do not be shocked nor fear them. What's interesting is that when God tells them about what he's planning to do with them, he tell, he's very truthful. He's very transparent. I'm going to send you to the promised land and you're going to take it. But I'm, I'm going to be with you. But you're going to take it. He never says that they're, he never really, uh, you know, bucks against the notion that, well, yeah, these, these aren't, no, they're not giants. What are you talking about? You guys are just acting scared. He never says they're not. Rather, the focus just continues to be on him. And, and the, I think that's what the Joshua and Caleb tried to understand. God is going to be with us. And so it doesn't matter. We can take the land. But the people ultimately listen to the ten bad spies. They listen to the bad report over the promises of God. And I think that's one lesson that, that we're supposed to take from Deuteronomy is this notion that no matter what man may say, we need to focus more on the words of God. We need to focus more on specifically his promises. Because when he makes a promise, it will be kept. And I just keep coming back to what we were talking about earlier in the Bible class this morning. Uh, as we're talking about being devoted to prayer, that notion of the faithfulness of God. Though all men, <laughs> though, the, uh, I love how Paul says it, that, that God remains faithful. No, may every man be counted a liar. God is faithful. Um, and and th that is absolutely true. And you see it not just in our own experiences, but you see it time and time and time and time again throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so he starts by re just remembering their failure. So that way, I think they won't repeat it as they continue on and they're about to take the land. Well, you skip forward a little bit more in chapter 9 of Deuteronomy. And he, he speaks a little bit more about a couple of uh, their other failures. Now, I, I begin this way. I, it's not like he only talks about their failures. But he does bring it up often. And I think... Uh, we need to take something from that and just there there is an appropriate time there are actually more uh, more appropriate times than i think we give credit for to bring these kinds of things up not to bring anyone down and not to not to you know just hurt people but just to make them remember don't get too prideful and don't think that you're higher than you actually are uh, deuteronomy chapter 9 beginning in verse 6 it says Know then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he would have destroyed you. Now, I think it's interesting, uh, it, it, it's intriguing that he doesn't start with where their relationship with God starts with, or at least from Egypt. He gets to this point, but the first failure he focuses on is that initial failure to, to enter the land when God tells them to, which I think tells us a little bit more about that choice that they made there. But now he's starting from the very beginning and it points out their unfaithfulness towards God uh, over and over again, skipping down to verse 22. Of, of chapter 9 still. Verse 22, it says, Again, at Tabra and at Massa and at Kibroth Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you. Then you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You neither believed him nor listened to his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day I knew you. Now remember, this, this is uh, Moses speaking to the people. And it's so heartbreaking as you listen to the words of Moses because even in chapter 1 you kind of get that hint of I mean you guys are about to take the promised land I, I'm not going to be able to go because of you 
And it's like very striking. And it's, it's touching because it's true. He doesn't get to go. Now, he still made the decision. He made a bad call and he sinned against the Lord. But <laughs> there, there, is that, uh, there is that notion that the people did drive him constantly to the edge. And, it, and now he's not able, after this long haul and after 40 years of wandering, he gets to the very border and God says, no, you're, you're, this isn't for you. You're not taking them into the land. He's, he wasn't capable of cap- taking them into the land. And so it, it j- just a con- consistent reminder of their unfaithfulness, not just failures, but unfaithfulness to God. They <clears throat> were, were punished for simply not accepting God's terms of salvation. And I think that's pretty interesting as well. Um, it's not just that they disobeyed the Lord. Think about the conditions of, of their relationship with God at this point. They had been given a beautiful blessing that God came to Egypt and delivered them in miraculous ways, powerful ways. Not only that, but he provided for them all the way up to Kadesh Barnea in, in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And then when they get to the edge, it's still... <laughs> It was based on the same conditions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna get, to get, give you this land. I'm the one that's going to win it for you. And the focus was never supposed to be on them. God kept it on him so, I think, so that they could know, you can attain this. And it was such an easy path. You know, you never look at the story of, of the fall of Jericho and think, man, that was such hard work that Israel had to put into that. No, they just, they just marched around the city and it fell. That's pretty amazing. It wasn't the people necessarily. I mean, they had to obey God if they wanted that to happen. But that wasn't by their power that it happened. It was by God's power. And so the path is so easy for them. that Their, their, their salvation, essentially, is so easy. But they refuse to take it. And God says, guess what? You, are held, you will be held accountable for that. And I think that the lesson remains consistent to this day. I think there are people who look at God's conditions for salvation today. And when I look at it, I think... How is it not more? When I look at this, I think, how is it that God does not require even more? Because it would be justified. Now, you know, not to say that repentance is a trivial thing. And baptism, no less, is a trivial thing. But how much harder could it have been to get to a relationship with God? But he just says, if you just accept the invitation. What does that mean? You've got to obey me. But if you just accept it, my yoke, is, my yoke and burden is light. I think that's a pretty easy <laughs> invitation to accept. And yet people want to look at it and they want to say, well, the, I just don't want to accept it. I don't want that. Whether it be because they have issues with baptism or whether it just be because they don't want to repent of certain things that God says are, are, are supposed to be cut out from our lives. It does not matter. If you don't accept his terms of salvation, it will be held against you. And you will be held accountable and you have to give an account to God for why that was too much for you. And so I think you see a lesson that even uh, comes down to the 21st century for us today. Uh, A very applicable lesson that comes down to the 21st century. Well, going beyond that, he also reminds them of the outcome of of them when they try to fight without really God on their side. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 1, as we close out with this point, Deuteronomy chapter 1 in verse 41 beginning. We already read a little bit uh, uh, prior to this, but beginning in verse 41, it says, Then you said to me, this is after they had refused to go into the promised land. God tells them, here's the punishment. You have to wander. This generation is going to die out. You're not going to be able to taste that rest. And so then they say, we have sinned against the Lord. We will indeed go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every man of you girded on his weapons of war and regarded it as easy to go up into the hill country. 
Verse 42, the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you. Otherwise, you will be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, but you would not listen. Instead, you rebelled against the command of the Lord and acted presumptuously and went up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and crushed you from Seir to Hormah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. Nor give ear to you. So you remained in Kadesh many days, the days that you spent there. And so there, there's just a lot of... Uh, it's, it, it's hard to look at that and not laugh. It's not necessarily a humorous thing, but it also is at the same time because it, it's kind of like Balaam. I, 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 I had no idea that I was doing something you didn't want me to do. And it's like, how could he get more clear? How could God get more clear? He says, if you go up, the whole reason that you've had victory up to this point, the whole reason you've survived this whole time is because of your relationship with me. I'm not going to be with you. I'm not going to be fighting that battle. And guess what happens? What is natural? There's no way that Israel should have been able to survive. This nomadic people should have been able to even survive in the wilderness. The only thing that was on their side was God. And so they get a taste of what that looks like. If, 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 he's not, if, if I'm not with you, this is what happens. And so I think there's several things that uh, are, are being called upon by Moses, by God, to, to the people to, to suggest, don't forget these things. Don't forget what happens when you try to fight the battle without me. Don't forget what happens when I give you a commandment and you decide that you want to take another route. It always ends in catastrophe. It always ends in consequences that you don't want to accept. And, 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 and incidentally, that you may want to backtrack and say, you know what, actually I don't want these consequences, let's do, let's do what you said. You don't get to. And so they, they uh, get a reminder that they need to just continue to obey God and listen to him. Well, not only does he remind them of what they did, but I think he also uh, tells them to remember what God has done for them, how he has taken care of them so wonderfully. First of all, speaking of that provision that he gives to them, in chapter 2, in verse 7, it says, For the Lord your God has blessed you in all that you have done. He has known your wanderings through, his great, through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have not lacked a thing. Which is pretty striking since they literally were a, a great nation, a great numerous people. Uh, and, and being nomadic no less. But then you go over to chapter 8 and it talks a little bit more about this kind of provision. Chapter 8. But it says even more interesting things about this. In beginning in verse 1, it says, All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. That's something that's said over and over again throughout Deuteronomy. But in verse 2, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know that what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. He continues to go on to say, listen, your sandals didn't go out on you. Your clothes didn't go out on you. What do you think that was for? What, how do you think that was accomplished? Specifically, only me. Just because your relationship with me. Because you're my people and I, may, I promised you that I would take care of you. And he does. He remains faithful. Even though they tend to be so unfaithful towards him. And so essentially he says don't forget that God is taking care of you all of this time. Don't let that pass from your mind when you enter the land. And especially when you think about that kind of provision. When, when we think about the provision of God. I don't think we... 
I don't think we tend to connect that with God's testing. As he is taking care of them in this beautiful way, it's a little bit strange that he says, but I also, I did this to humble you. I did this to test you. I did this to see whether or not you would obey me. I did this to see if you would learn a lesson. Um, and I think that that would behoove us to think about it in those terms every now and then when we are praying to God and thanking him for the provision that he has given us so far in this life. It may be a good thing to, to just think about that, at least contemplate it. Well, going beyond that, not only does he remind them of the provision about how he has so graciously uh, given much for them, but over in Deuteronomy chapter 7, we already talked about what happens when they fight without God. Now he comes over and starts talking about the victory, the overwhelming victory that only comes when God is on their side. In uh, chapter 7, beginning in verse 17, beginning in verse 17, it says, If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? Very similar to what uh, they were saying in Numbers 13 and 14. Verse 18, if you say that, you shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw and the signs of the wonders and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. So again, don't think, just because we started by talking about their failures and, and their unfaithfulness, don't think that this is just a depressing book. This is a very encouraging book because what is he trying to show them over and over again? Even though you failed, look at the victories that you were able to share in. Even though you did mess up, look at how God continued to take care of you. And when you did get these victories, oh, wow. How, how, how powerful was God uh, revealed to be through those battles, through these nations that were conquered, again, by a nomadic people. And, and I don't think the point is lost, because when you get to Rahab, which hopefully we'll look at in the next couple of weeks, but when you get to Rahab, she mentions this, and she says, oh, we've, we've heard and she doesn't say, oh, we're just terrified of you because, man, you guys are something else. She's ter they're terrified because they know who's on their side. They know that Jehovah is the one who is fighting these, that he is winning these battles for them. And, and, and you see that fear time and time again as you look uh, uh, just th throughout, uh, from Numbers 22 into Joshua, into the invasion and conquest of, of the Promised Land. Over in chapter 31, well, we, we won't go there, but in chapter 31, in verses 1 through 6, it talks about some of the battles that he won before you even get to Numbers 22 with the story of Balaam, talking about uh, Sihon and Og and, and King Arad. All of these nations and all these kings destroyed. Don't forget those things. Don't forget the power that I have demonstrated before you. Um, and, and I think that similar, uh, a similar application would uh, help us today. I know that we don't get to see in the same way they did these, these, these spectacular, um, marvelous spectacles. I mean, seeing the Red Sea completely divided, that is something to see. That is, that is a... Um, that, that, that is an awe-inspiring thing to see at the very least. Seeing manna drop from heaven, that is also just as awe-inspiring. I, I would just like to suggest that just because we don't get to see those things doesn't mean that we don't share in a victory just as impressive. And in fact, I would say more so. Maybe we didn't get to see the Red Sea divided. Maybe we didn't get to be baptized like Israel was when they walked through it, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But haven't we been baptized? And not just the baptism of the Red Sea, but baptized with the blood of Jesus. And I think sometimes we overlook that. It is just as impressive, more so, 
that we have been baptized in that blood, that we have been baptized by the blood of the Lamb. Because that is what that uh, baptism in 1 Corinthians 10, as it talks about, was ultimately pointing to, I would, uh, I would suggest. And so just because we don't get to see it with our eyes, that does not mean that we are not a part of a victory that is, that is just as beautiful. And we need to see that when, uh, as we are, when we become Christians, as we continue to live lives as Christians, we need to remember that we are victors as long as we continue to remain in a relationship with Jesus. Um, you, you could go over to Joshua chapter 10. Uh, we won't read that t- today. We'll probably look at it in the next couple of weeks. But Joshua chapter 10, verses 22 through 27. Joshua, they, they, they just completely take the five kings of, of uh, uh, the king of Jerusalem, the, the five kings of the Amorites, and as they, they trap them all in a cave, and then they you know, take the battle over, the Israelites do, and, and after the battle is won, clearly, they go back to the cave, and the five kings of the Amorites come out. Joshua makes really an example out of them. Now, but before, the, before they are put to death, what he does is he brings some, some of the men, some of the choice men from Israel up, and he says, you, you, put, your, you put your heel on their necks. And that's what they do. They go up to these five kings, these five pagan kings, and they put their heels on their necks. And what is that supposed to show? It's supposed to show dominance. It's supposed to show, look at what God has done. And just understand that God will continue to do this if you just keep his commandments. Um, and that is the promise that he c- continues to give throughout Deuteronomy. Uh, and, and so I, I just wonder, how many times must God win for his people to get the point? Now with Israel, you see, they, they'll, they'll forget it. They will. I wonder how often we forget it, though, as we were just talking about the victory we have as Christians. Well, going past that, back in chapter 9, of Deuteronomy in verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 4. It says, Do not say in your heart when the Lord your God has driven them out before you because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you. In order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, don't think that you're you're taking this land because you're so righteous. Don't think it's because you're so faithful. It is because I am. The, only, the reason that you get to enjoy this land of milk that flows with milk and honey is because I actually deliver on my promises. And when I make a covenant, I'm going to keep my end. And even though you have a people that time and time again betray him, Moses and Aaron, they intercede for the people, and God spares them. He gives them grace and mercy. But all of that, and yet he's still, he's still so willing to, to uh, uphold his end of, of the covenant, that beautiful relationship. And so he just reminds them that they were uh, unfaithful while he, uh, while they were faithless while he was 100% faithful to them. Finally, in, in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform, so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Peor. For all the men who followed Baal Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Now, 
I, I wanted to bring this up because not only does he remind them of all these beautiful blessings that they have being his people, but he also reminds them of the fact that, guess what? Just because you're my people, that doesn't mean that I will not judge the disobedient. You don't get a pass. In other words, he is a completely <laughs> impartial judge. He's not swayed. And he will bring justice, true justice, even if it is his people that are doing the sins, even though it is his people that are going to receive the blunt end of that judgment. And, and I think that that is definitely a, a, a good warning for the people to have because as they're going to take the promised land, what's one thing that they need to remember? We need to remember that, that, that we can't just throw God's words by the wayside. And we can't act like the rest of the pagan nations. We need to be as holy as he wants us to be, as he has called for us to be, that we be that holy nation and a royal priesthood. So... I just think constantly much of this is just a warning. But, uh, well, staying in chapter 4, as we continue, the third point, he also tells them what they are to remember to do and what they are to continue to do as they take the land and as they continue to be God's chosen people. We already read in verses 1 through 2 of, of uh, chapter 4 that they were not to add or take away from his word. They were just to continue to obey it and keep it. In chapter 8 and verse 1, he says something very similar. All the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You, you skip down to, uh, you know, chapter 11. And, I mean, you could just read chapter 11 another time. But it just, it, all throughout, he's trying to get them to remember obedience. You need to obey me. You need to love me. You need to fear me. And remember all the things that you have seen. It's just really, I, I would say, a repeat of the things that we've already looked at in, in the other chapters. But you go over to chapter 12 and verse 29. Deuteronomy chapter 12, beginning in verse 29. It says, when the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations which you are going to going in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, beware that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods, that I also may do likewise? You shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God, for every abominable act which the Lord hates, they have done for their gods." For they even burn the sons, their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. In verse 32, whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to nor take away from it. Just in Deuteronomy alone, does it sound like it's pretty important <laughs> to just take God's word and not adjust it, not alter it? You see this again in, New, in the New Testament. And I think it's amazing how many times this comes up, not just in, in the law, but then you get to the wisdom literature and it, and it goes over that in the Proverbs. Over and over again, you get to, to the, the time of the captivity, and they just keep hearkening back to this same language. Uh, and then you get to the New Testament, and you see it as we just indicated. But I, I think it's interesting that as he talks about how, that they need to keep his word, that they need to keep his law. Back in chapter 8, where we started in verse 11, how is it that they would forget God? In verse 11 of chapter 8, it says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. 
In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your, for, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. So all of this passage that we just read, it comes back to you forget him by not keeping his word, by not listening to him. And he even gets into how they, they'll become prideful. Why is it to become prideful? Because they're not staring at the law. They're not looking at his commandments that keeps them humble. And he even brings up this notion of that testing again and how it humbles them. You want to stay away from pride? Keep looking at God's word. That's one of the main, that's, that's the key. But when we go away from that, that's when we become prideful. When we go away from that, that's when we forget God. That's when we forget our relationship with him. Therefore, how we're supposed to act and treat him. So I think that that is uh, some application that we need to make uh, today as well. But beyond that, he, he also tells them to remember what is required. And I use that uh, language uh, on purpose. Uh, you see that language in, in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, in verse 12 beginning, it says, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him. And to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes which I am commanding you today for your good. What is it that, you're, what is it that he requires from you? You need to make sure that you love him. Uh, and you even see that kind of uh, similar language from the greatest commandment. That you find in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And he just says you need to teach them to your children. You need to never let them leave your mind. You need to let, never let them leave the tongue. You need to let it just keep flowing from you. And so that, and, and again, Deuteronomy 6 and verses uh, 4 through 5, that is where you find... Uh, the greatest commandment. That's what they quote uh, so often in the New Testament. That's what Jesus himself quotes. So what's required? Love. And so you look at, <laughs> people look at the Old Testament and they say, well, the Old Testament, really you can just do away with it. This is one of the things that just bothers me because they get the greatest commandment from Deuteronomy. And then you look at this and you think, okay, well, Israel, they just couldn't have known. Yes, they didn't have the full picture. They didn't have the full revelation. That comes with Jesus. But that doesn't mean that they couldn't have made the same conclusions that David made. Because I think David, being a man after God's own heart, knew what God wanted. And he wasn't like, oh, oh, how was I supposed to know? No, he got it. And so did the truly faithful of, of Israel. Those were the people who, who looked at God's law and didn't just say, all right, what is the least I have to do to, to get this done? No, they wanted to fully obey it and they made sure that they applied it deep in their heart. And that means application all the way around in our lives. And so <laughs> it, just, it, it just makes me laugh when people say, well, it was just impossible to know. It wasn't. God, in, in Deuteronomy 30, he even says, it's, it's not too difficult for you. We even made that point a, a few weeks ago at talking about authority. And so... Uh, not, he tells them, he reminds them that they need to keep his word, continue to keep his word, that they need to love God. But I, I think that 
that there are times where he, he talks about the love, but he also brings up fear uh, quite a bit. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, I think no matter, regardless of, of what the emotions we may have, if maybe we have love for God or His commandments, maybe the love is straining. Maybe we're struggling with developing, cultivating that kind of love. I think at the very least, what we need to have is fear. We need to have that to fall back on. I don't think that's a negative thing to say. Because look at what it says in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 9, beginning. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. <clears throat> uh, beginning in verse 9. It says, Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. When the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. Teach their children that same fear. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain and the mountain burned with fire to the very heart of the heavens. Darkness, cloud, and thick gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. So he declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might perform them in the land where you are going over to possess it. And, and so what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about when he, when he speaks the Ten Commandments for all the people to hear, and what was, what was their response? Moses, go. You talk to him, because if we, if we continue this, we will die. They were, they were afraid. Of the presence of the Lord. They were afraid when they saw the glory of the Lord. And I don't think that that's a bad start to a relationship with God. Because you even see a man like Isaiah falling when he sees just a fraction of God's glory. And we just talked about that, that beautiful vision in Isaiah chapter 6. Or I may be wrong. Isaiah chapter 6. And even a man like Isaiah, he falls. Job can't speak. Puts his hand over his mouth. Elijah has no real retort when, when God sends him these, as he asks, what are you doing, Elijah? As Elijah is despondent in 1 Kings chapter 19, doesn't really have anything to say. At first he does, but when God gives him, tells him what to do, nothing, no more. He, he goes about his business. He goes about the business of, of, of his God. But going, coming back to this story, uh, that, that's where that, that relationship really started, with the fear. And what does Moses say about it in verse 28 beginning? It says, the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. So what does he say? Oh, that's, that's really too bad. They just, they're not mature. They don't understand. No, he says, that was, a, that was appropriate. And that needs to continue. If they would just remember that fear, they wouldn't keep going astray in the future, but he knows that they're going to forget it. And they do. And because of that, they go beyond God's law. And I'm, I'm not saying this to say we just need to fear God and forget the love. I'm saying we need to have both. But if we have that fear, if we're struggling with the love for a time, I think that fear keeps us in check. And it gives a good balance. Um, and, and so I, I think that's something that we need to remember. And, and I think it keeps us uh, at least somewhat tethered in reality in our relationship with God. Well, finally, 
After all of these things that he reminds them that they have done, that God has done for them, that, that they are to continue to do, I think he ends with something that is very encouraging, and that is speaking of just a couple of things that God himself remembers. Now, ultimately, all of this is, God knows, it's not like God has trouble remembering their mistakes and what they did in you know Exodus chapter 32 where they made the golden calf. It's not what I'm saying. But there's a couple of things that he says he's going to remember that I think is very striking and very encouraging. First of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 25 beginning in verse 17. He says, Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt. So this is Exodus chapter 17. Remember what, uh, how he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to, to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. And honestly, it's been more than 40 years since this happened. Because remember, that's in Exodus chapter 17. That is really very close to they had been delivered from Egypt with those wonderful, uh, the, the, the beautiful miracles that God sends in the ten plagues, that their means of salvation. And so it says while they were weary and while they were straggling, or while they were weary and they were weak, Amalek comes against God's people and he attacks the stragglers and ultimately he did it because he did not fear God. And God says, don't you forget about this man. And you'd think, you know, someone, you know, when, you, when someone attacks your family, it's kind of hard to forget them. Uh, but it has been quite some time. But God says, this is not something that I, that I am going to allow. And, guess, and what's interesting is that there's going to be even more time that passes because this doesn't really, this isn't fully, uh, uh, this, this isn't uh, fulfilled until you get to Saul as king, past the time of the judges, past the time of their invasion of, of the promised land. And in First Kings chapter First uh, uh, Kings chapter fifteen, Saul finally takes the, that that people, and the promise is finally fulfilled. Now. The reason I think that's encouraging is because no matter the time that has been passed, no matter how many generations have passed, what God has promised, he will bring to fruition. And I think that that is something that we can take and really find assurance and reassurance in, even today, that God will bring justice to his enemies, to his opponents. He will strike, uh, and, and the notion that vengeance is mine. That's not something you only find in the New Testament. That's something that's taught in the Old Testament as well. But also that, that, that justice will come. You don't have to worry about the, you know, the evil, those who are getting fat and sleek off of wickedness. God's going to bring them before him one day. And we don't have to, we don't have to worry about that. Why? Because I know that vengeance is his. It's not mine. And so there, there's a comfort that comes with that. But not only that, he also doesn't let them forget the promises that he has made. Over and over again, he's just said, listen, if you just obey me, I'm going to give you these blessings. And that's a beautiful thing that he, that he just keeps on trying to establish in their brain. But in, back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, in verse 25. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 25. He says, when you become the father of children and children's children, and have remained long in the land, and act corruptly, and make an idol in the form of anything, and do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today 
that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess it. You shall not live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. There you will serve gods, the work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant with uh, your fathers which he swore to them. What is he talking about? He is talking about generations in the future when they finally are, are, the judgment is brought against them and they're brought into captivity and they're in Babylon. He's talking about that, that point. And so when you have the, the, the uh, Judah, which is taken into captivity in Babylon, and they have to just think about the destruction of Jerusalem, think about the destruction of the temple, and think about how they had all of this beautiful, uh, all these beautiful blessings that God has given them because he was their God and they were his people. After they've lost all that, what do they look back to? The law. They look back to the words of Moses and they find reassurance there. They could go back to the law and see he's already provided here. And so, I, you know, that's why one of the reasons when, when you look at the law, there is some beautiful uh, points to be made there. But finally, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, uh, chapter 30, in verse 1, continuing down that same thought, he says, So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all, in, in, in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. I'm sorry, but that's, that's amazing. It's beautiful that he so, uh, this looks like a subtle hint to them, but he's telling them exactly what's going to happen. I know you're going to disobey me. And you're going to be brought, and it's going to be brought to your doorstep. You're going to be taken into captivity. But even then, I'm going to remember my covenant that I made with Abraham generations prior and I think that that's a beautiful notion that God even he will remember those things and so we don't have to worry about well has you know like what we were talking about in first Kings 19 with Elijah I'm all alone I don't know to I mean I, I thought we were supposed to have the victory God says you do have it have you forgotten what that victory looks like and have you forgotten what what that journey is going to look like to get to that that ultimate victory when we are finally have left this, this earthly dwelling and are with Jesus and are able to worship him forever and ever. Amen. I think that's, that, that's a point that is most beautiful. So, before and after the promised land, after even they take the promised land, the need for obedience, the need for fear, for love for God, it doesn't vanish. It just continues. And I think it continues to be, uh, I, I don't think, I know, it continues to be a f consistent lesson that we are supposed to take as his people today. We are supposed to continue to obey him and love him and fear him. So it is both comforting and I would say terrifying to be assured that God will have the final say against his enemies, as we were just talking about. Because it's encouraging to his servants, but it is condemnation to his enemies. The question is, which way am I walking right now? What group do I find myself in? Because we may be like Israel, we may be able to say, well, I'm, hey, I'm a son of Abraham. Maybe you have all of the outward appearance of, of a son of Abraham. But remember, just because you can claim that 
And just because you, you, you truly have done the things that you're supposed to do, you know, you know on, on an outward level, if you disobey God, he will bring the judgment against you. And so don't think that we have a pass to do whatever we want. Christian, we need to repent. And we need to come back and, and obey him in every commitment that he has given us. If you are not a Christian, just understand that the same level of fear that the pagan nations had when Israel approached with God at their back. With God being the one supporting them. The fear that they had, I think it's just amplified when you think about the judgment that comes with eternity. If you are facing him as an opponent. If you died tonight, would you be able to face God as his servant or as his enemy? As one who has, who has accepted that sacrifice of Christ or as one who merely put Christ, was a reason that Christ had to be put on the cross. If you are subject to the invitation of Christ tonight, you want to become a Christian, please let us assist you in any way we can. And let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.